I was 12 years old when I got my very first guitar. And there's actually a story behind this. This is kind of a story. Um, one of my best friends who I grew up with, he was two houses down our whole childhood. He had no musical background, never took a piano lesson or knew how to read music. And he decided he just wanted to get a guitar. So he goes and buys a guitar. And I really kid you not, it felt like a day after he bought this thing, he was already playing Freebird and Stairway to Heaven and like rocking out on these Jimi Hendrix lows. So I'm watching this and I'm like, dude, guitar must be easy. Like, I gotta get me one because I, my mom tortured me with piano lessons for my childhood, okay? I know some of you think you're loving your kids by doing that. They're gonna resent you for the rest of their lives. So, no, thank you, mom, for the piano lessons. And um, I knew how to play drums, I could read music. So I'm thinking, if I get a guitar, I'm gonna just be killing it. I'm, I'm gonna just be shredding. So I go to Aldi, the grocery store. Do I have any Midwest people in the house who know what Aldi is? Where are my Midwesterners at? I see some hands. Um, if you don't know what Aldi is, there'll be prayer at the front after the service. We'd love to pray for you to help you get to know the Lord. But um, I go to Aldi and I buy a $50 guitar, okay, just to get started. And I'm getting all excited. I buy this thing. And a couple of days in, I have a painful realization. I am terrible, just awful. Like there is zero potential at all. And the irony of this whole story is my friend who started just dabbling on a guitar at 12, he ended up in the music industry because of his musical prowess. And I have never graduated past serious dabbler when it comes to the guitar. And now I just have a bunch of guitars in my office just gathering dust. That's as far as I've gone. And I mentioned that whole story because that experience and a lot others like it really make me think about the incredible disparities between people when it comes to gifts and talents and abilities, like you just think of all the different qualities people have. Like some people, it is an incredible musical gift. They just pick something up and they're amazing. Some of you in here, you just have this unbelievable cooking gift. You can just take ingredients and make anything out of it. I have a friend, she is fluent in seven languages. She just learns them like so easily, like academic skills. Some of you guys have construction skills, like it, the list goes on and on. And it just amazes me how different it is. But at the same time, I kind of get frustrated by it too. Because even with my experience with my friend with the guitar, I couldn't help having these moments thinking, why was I not endowed with that kind of skill? Like, why did God not give me these kinds of like supernatural capacities just to pick these things up and be really good at it? And it feels like the distribution of skills is actually not very fair. And some people just seem like unbelievably gifted, like they just won the lottery on some level. And then the rest of us are just cursed to be in the middle of the distribution curve. We're just very average. And I've even wondered that even with God, because I'm like, God, do you just have favorites sometimes? Like, do you just pick people to be more special and just have all these things and the rest of us just have to deal with what we have? And I set all that up to bring us into the, our, this next week of Favor of God, the series that we've been in now for a couple weeks. And I tell you, this has been a great series. We have a couple more weeks just to get all out what we need to get out of this series. But if you're jumping in with us, if you're new, let me just catch you up real briefly. We we're talking about how God actually has favor he wants to bring in your life. And that is the demonstrated delight of God. It is tangible evidence of his approval. And ultimately, this is all in God's control. We can't manipulate it. But there are things we can do to help cultivate fertile soil for the favor of God. It's character work. It's seeking. And we just did a week of prayer and fasting. That was an effort to really seek more of God's presence and favor in our lives. But I want to talk today about a little pain point when it comes to the favor of God. And that pain point is the undeniable fact that we 
are sometimes doing our absolute best to get closer to God, to have a character that honors him, to live in his ways, and yet at the same point, it feels like the distribution of favor is not very fair. And it seems like it's showing up maybe in other people's lives in more evident ways. And it can leave us wondering, again, am I doing something wrong? Or am I missing something? And so I want to lean in today and see, what does the Bible have to show us about how the favor of God may show up in your individual life? And what this can actually look like. I think we're going to have some good stuff to cover today. We're going to look at a passage to open this up that is going to not make sense at first. You're going to be like, why are we even talking about this? How does this even relate? But I think you're going to see where I'm going. Let me set some context. At this moment in history, Moses is leading the nation of Israel out of slavery. And they're wandering through the wilderness. They're in the desert. And God actually asks Moses to build what's called the tabernacle. It's like a mobile worship center. He's like, I want you guys to keep praying and seeking and, and singing and doing all that. So now he's going to give him instructions about building it. And here's where we're going to pick it up, and you're going to see where we're going. Exodus 31, verse 1, it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Now, pause real quick. This is the first mention in the Bible of what we call a spiritual gift. Now, if that is new terminology for anybody, this is actually um, a supernatural capacity that God gives people to serve his purposes. You'll see lists of these all throughout the New Testament. People get gifts of administration, leadership. They get gifts of um, encouragement and service and all these different things. And this is actually the gift of craftsmanship that we see in the Bible. And it's, th it's this ability to work with your hands to make things out of different materials. Some of you, it can even be an artistic gift. And actually, there's a lot of you in this church who have this gift, and maybe you didn't know that's what it was. I'm actually standing on it right now because somebody in our church built this thing right here that I'm standing on. Anything made out of wood in our church, some volunteer made. You're about to see a lot of construction at our church that a bunch of men and women are going to start working on in the next couple weeks and months. And some of you guys, you can just pick up a piece of wood and turn it into this beautiful thing. You can fix anything. That's a gift. Now, here's what I want to hone in, though, about this particular passage right here. When I say the name Moses, even if you're not familiar with the Bible at all, you have some concept of, oh, that's one of God's guys. Like, he's one of the favorites. That is like the Patrick Mahomes, you know, of the Bible. Like, he is the quarterback, you know, everybody loves him. I just heard a woo. Don't do that, okay? <laughs> Don't do that. Um, so, anyways, that's what you think Moses for a lot of people in here, Bezalel, that's the first time you've ever heard of this guy in your life. You don't even know who this guy was. And here's what I find so fascinating about this. Moses is like the chosen man of God. And even with how favored Moses is, God says, hey, just so you know, Moses, this favor I have right here is not for you. This favor of my wisdom and the ability to do these projects and to do all these things, you don't get any of it. It's for this other guy, Bezalel. That is the favor I have for him. And this is the key principle we have to see about how the favor of God works in our individual lives. God's favor comes in different forms. Okay, there is a real temptation that we have with the favor of God. We tend to have a very limited understanding of what it's going to look like if it really shows up in our life. So some of us in here, you think, if I have the favor of God, that is 
definitely going to come with more money probably. Like God's going to just bless me. Like we just think that on some level. We think that's what it's going to look like. Or we think God is going to make my life easier in some way. Or, you know, we honestly sometimes think God's favor is for pastors, ministry workers, right? God, like God really blesses those people, the ones around the stage talking in the mic. Like we just have some sort of concept of how that works. But actually that is not the case at all. And that's where you have to break that temptation that we start to think about when it comes to God's favor. Just think of a couple examples in the Bible. Okay, we've talked about these people almost every week. Start with David. We've mentioned him every single week. Definitely has the favor of God on his life. David gets the favor of God. And you know what happens to him? He gets rich, filthy, filthy rich. He becomes a king of what becomes one of the most powerful nations on planet Earth. He gets to write massive portions of the Bible. Okay, that's favor, right? We think, oh yeah, blessed, okay? One of God's favorites. Well, then we bring up Mary. Mary, another lady we talked to. The Bible specifically says she was highly favored by God. You know what Mary gets when she gets God's favor? She stays poor her entire life. Never becomes a queen, is never famous in her lifetime. And you know what she also has to do because of God's favor? Birth a child, in the first century, I know some of you are like, well, Brian, that was Jesus, though. Like, that's a blessing. Ladies, a first century birth. Does any lady in here want to give birth in some farm in the first century? Does that sound comfortable to any woman here? Miserable experience. But she had the favor of God on her. Uh, there's a really, I, there is a lot of humor in the Bible. You just have to catch it. You have to catch it when you're reading it. There, there's a part of the Bible that makes me laugh every time I read it. Um, at this moment, Jesus had already risen from the dead. Okay. And he is now starting to show up to some of his followers and he has an encounter with Peter. So Peter is staring the resurrected Jesus in the face and they're having a conversation. Jesus is trying to prepare him for what is coming in his life. Cause he knows it's going to be pretty difficult. And so Jesus even tells Peter, Hey, just so you know, you are going to be crucified just like I was. And you just need to be ready because your life is not really going to be what you think it was. And so Peter is like processing this. And it says this in John 21, while they're talking, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. So this is John, you know, uh, one of the other followers. So Peter and Jesus are talking, they notice they got a little eavesdropper following them around. Okay. So Peter notices this. Now here's what I would expect from Peter. I'm expecting Peter to be like, Jesus, you just rose from the dead. That was pretty cool. I should probably do whatever you tell me to do. Like I should be on my hands and knees worshiping you. Whatever you have for me is totally fine because I just saw you rise from the dead. I'll probably rise from the dead too. You defeated the cross, I'll defeat a cross too. You know what Peter says right in this moment? It says in verse 21, when Peter saw him, John, he asked, Lord, what about him? <laughs> Again, Jesus just rose from the dead. And Peter's like, well, well hold up. You just told me I'm going to die. On a, well, is he going to die on a cross too? I want to make sure he suffers too, because I don't want to suffer more than him. Can we make sure everybody suffers equally in this conversation? I want to make sure John's life is miserable just like mine. And like, this is exactly where our heads go all the time, though. We notice the discrepancies in all our lives, even when it comes to the favor of God. I have a pastor friend in Los Angeles. And just uh, this last year or so, we were driving around together at an event. You know, we're catching up on our lives. And his journey has gotten kind of interesting the last couple of years. He has two daughters. And his oldest daughter is in high school. And she's a wonderful young girl, loves Jesus. But a uh, typical high school student in so many ways. Just great little girl. 
his youngest daughter is um, in middle school right now. And when she was even younger than that, she just kind of got interested in acting a little bit because they're in LA. And so they're like, well, we'll try to like let her scratch this itch. We'll let her try out for a couple commercials and all that. Well, she ends up doing some commercials and things kind of started to take off to where now this girl has been in some of the biggest Netflix series on planet Earth, and she is now in some movies with the biggest, biggest names in Hollywood. And if I said her name, a good number of people in this room would know exactly who I'm talking about. She's going to be very famous. And so I couldn't help asking, like, wow, man, your guys' lives have totally changed because now they're traveling the planet. They're at all these shoots. They're, like, literally with all these celebrities all the time. And I said, how are you guys, like, navigating this? He said, Brian, it just started to get hard because... My middle school daughter, her life has taken off. But now our high school daughter is pulling us, my wife and I, into private conversations and saying, like, Mom, Dad, I don't get it. Like, I love God. I'm trying to do what he wants me to do. And no doors have opened for me. No opportunities have opened up. And now my little sister is literally becoming a household name on planet Earth. Like, it feels like God has just passed over me. Like, I feel like he doesn't love me. Like, is there no favor for me? And this is a feeling I think we all have when we start to look at other people's lives and we start to wonder about how God's working in our own life. And there actually is a tension we need to step into right now. We need to talk about favor and frustration. The frustration we all feel when it comes to even the favor of God. And I want to talk about a very dangerous temptation every single one of us is going to face somewhere in your journey. And that temptation is that if you are not careful, you will become frustrated by the form of favor that does or does not come into your life. And you will end up forfeiting God's favor for your life altogether. Okay, I want to make sure you get that you will have a temptation to become frustrated by the form of favor that does or does not come into your life. And it will actually cause you to forfeit the favor God actually has for you. Okay, there's a guy in the Bible whose life is the perfect illustration of this, okay? The, he, the exact one, and his name is Jonah, okay? You may re recognize that name. You pick up Jonah's life, there's a whole book named after him, right in chapter one, verse one, it goes right into his story. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah gets kind of a cool situation. God gives him a very specific, direct call. Like he knows exactly what he's supposed to do. Jonah, this is the plan I have for your life. And the nice thing about getting a plan from God is he always promises to provide favor when we're obedient to his plan. That it, God won't ask you to do something that he will not ultimately provide what you need for. Okay, so Jonah, he has the marching orders and he's supposed to step into them. That's not exactly what Jonah does though. Because in the very next verse, it says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Can we just notice the irony in that verse real quick? Ran away from God. That's like my four-year-old daughter trying to get away from me. There is no chance that's happening. And even just for you to see how hilarious this situation is, this is where Jonah was supposed to go. That's where he's supposed to go. Nice little Northeast trip, okay? Quick flight. This is where Jonah went, though. That was Jonah's plan. 
2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Now, this is what Jonah's communicating, though, through his actions. God, this is not what I asked for. This is not what I want for my life. And rather than embracing the form of favor you have for me, I'd rather forfeit it and try and find it myself. And how many times do we do that with our own lives? God, this is not what I asked for. This is not what I wanted. I hate this job. This is not the spouse I wanted. I need a return policy on this situation that you put me into. But truly, like, I don't like this marriage. And now I'm having to live with this. I'm having to f figure this thing out. God, I, I didn't ask for this body. Now I got all these issues, this pain, all these health dynamics. Like, how can you do this to me? And we actually end up throwing a little bit of a fit. And we get a little bitter and even resentful towards God. And we go our own way looking for our own form of favor. And we end up forfeiting the very plans God has for us and the favor that comes with it. Just this last summer, Nicole and I were hanging out um, on our patio in our, in our backyard and we overheard my neighbor. He was talking to some of his family in his house. Now, before you think I'm just some sort of nosy eavesdropper, um, it's hard not to hear your neighbor's conversations when your houses are six inches apart from each other, okay? So close your windows and your door if you don't want me to hear your stuff, if you see me outside, all right? And he was talking very loud. So he starts having a conversation with uh, some family members, and he's talking about how much money he has made in the last year through some of these different bonuses and different things. Now, can I just have an honest moment with our church right now? Am I allowed to be human? Okay. Like, I need an umbrella of grace moment right here. I need a judgment-free zone, all right? I already see some judgmental looks coming. Like, no, I'm, I'm about to judge you hard, Brian, for whatever you're about to say. So he started saying some of these numbers of what he made in this last year. And my first thought wasn't, you know what? Good for him. He deserves that money. He's worked hard for it. I'm just happy. I hope he goes on a four-month Italy trip. I hope he spends all that money on himself, and it's great. You know what my first thoughts were? God, what about me? Like, well, hold up. Like, he didn't even go to college. I had to go to three years of seminary to learn all this Greek and Hebrew and serve you, and he's not even a Christian. I gave my life to you, Lord, and you can't even throw me a bone? Am I allowed to be honest? Am I allowed to be honest in this church? That's what was actually going through my mind. And what I expected God to say in that moment was, you know what, Brian? You are right. <laughs> you have made many sacrifices. And here's a winning lottery ticket for the trouble. And that was my bad. I just missed it. And, and go enjoy your life. Not exactly what happened in that moment. Because I really felt God speaking in that moment. And I felt him say, well, hold up, Brian. First off, what business is it yours about how much money I allow this guy to make and how much favor I give on his work? And secondly, yeah, um, ministry comes with some financial sacrifices. You knew that when you went into it. And you get to do and see and experience things in a single week that this guy will never see his entire life. 
And not only that, with as much money as this guy's making, maybe instead of being jealous of him, you should be on your hands and knees praying for his soul because this money can do nothing to save him from the eternity he's facing without me. So I got a spanking from God. <laughs> now Jonah, the favor God had for him was not in Tarshish. He was looking for it there, but it was not there. It was in a different place. The one place he didn't want to go. But that's where God's favor was for him. And so you have to understand today when it comes to your life and what God has for you, you have to realize this. Some forms of favor are not for you. They're not for you. You can ask all you want. You can be as jealous as you want to be of that other person, but it's not for you. You want favor in that relationship with that person. It's not for you. It's in another place. You want God's favor in that city, in that place. You fantasize about it. You think life is going to be so much better if we just moved and then our politics would match that area and it'd be cheaper and all the things would work. Well, God's favor isn't there for you. You can think about it all you want, but it's not there. God's favor is not in that uh, multi-level marketing scheme you keep getting Facebook messages about or whatever. It's not there. As much money as you think you're going to make, there's no favor there. And you can get frustrated. You can get mad at God. You can get as bitter as you want, but you just have to understand God will not bless the plans you make for yourself if they're in conflict with the purposes he has for you. He will not give you a form of favor that works against the favor he actually has for you. Jonah finally realizes that trying to find his own favor is a total exercise in futility because his life goes totally sideways. Everything falls apart when he tries going his own way. And he finally decides to say, you know what? Maybe I should try something different. And he humbles himself. He says, okay, God, your plan. I'm going to do that now. And almost immediately things start to change for him. He gets swallowed up by this big fish, which maybe doesn't sound like the favor of God, but he survives and which is <laughs> pretty good. Not only that, that experience he has becomes a foreshadow of the very resurrection of Jesus after three days in the tomb. That's pretty cool to be used as a foreshadow of Jesus. He finally ends up in Nineveh and he decides to follow God's plan and God gives him unbelievable, dramatic, historic favor because he speaks to these people and they experience a total revival throughout the whole city. 120,000 people turn to God, are saved from destruction, and Jonah's life is written in the history books forever. All because he realized it's better to embrace the favor God has for you than to try to find it in a different form. You can clap for that, you can. So what form of favor do you think God has for you? Think about your life. What do you think God's favor might come in for you? In what form? 
And actually, there's little ways you can think about this. For some of us in here, you might have an experience similar to Bezalel. You have just a special capacity, a certain gift. It's just kind of evident. And you're just really naturally gifted at something. And God is kind of directing you towards something to make an impact for him. Some of us in here, it might come in the form of just a conviction or passion you have for something. Like it's a cause, it's a group of people. It's just something like you just can't let it go. And God is working in your heart for you to move in that direction. Some of us in here, I know you're not going to like this. You have maybe a little bit more of a Jonah form of favor. God is going to ask you to do something you don't really want to do. And it's not going to come with a lot of money or recognition or applause, but it's the favor God has for you. So do you know the form of favor God has for your life? Any idea? And I have some good news for us in here today. If you have no idea, that is actually perfectly fine. You don't have to know at all. Actually, God may never tell you or show you, but that doesn't have to stop you from walking directly in the path of his favor because actually there is one single thing you can do to essentially guarantee that you will step into the path of God's favor for your life. I know that sounds like a tall promise, but I want to show you how this works and you're going to see this. I want to um, unpack it from a couple people's lives in the Bible because I think it's good to see it before we pull out what the actual principle is. So let's talk about just three people real quick and see how this worked for them. Um, we already mentioned him in the series, Joseph. So Joseph, if you don't know his story, sold into slavery by his brothers, just rough. Then he gets falsely accused of a crime he didn't do. That's tough. Ends up in prison. Joseph's life is over. Okay. Nothing is working for this guy. This is the perfect time in your life to totally check out. This is when you start stealing staplers from work, right? What's the point? All right. I'm just going to start doing all my own printouts and get my own office supplies. Some of you are like, I already do that, Brian. Yes. Um, that's what I'm talking about. But like, just done. You're just scrolling social media. Why even try? There's no point anymore. Like, God has forgotten this guy, it seems. But Joseph does the complete opposite. He does not check out. He fully engages right in the moment God has him. Even if it means serving somebody who bought him into slavery or even in a prison. Look what it says in Genesis 39.3 about what ends up happening because of Joseph. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Now look at what happens in prison, verse 22. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. You see, Joseph was so dependable. He was so competent, it ultimately elevated him to the second highest position of the most powerful nation on planet Earth, and the rest is history of the impact his life had. Now that's one guy. Keep following me. There's a, there's a thread going all through this. Let's talk about Ruth a woman in the Bible. Ruth has a painful story. She ends up a widow at a very young age. And a lot of people actually die around her. And um, she has an opportunity because she's young enough to go back to her family and just reset the clock, just start all over, clean her life up. But she makes this decision to instead take care of her mother-in-law. Okay, there should be a gasp right there in the room. She's like, no, I'm going to take care of this woman. And she throws everything away, any hope she has of a life for herself to take care of her widowed mother-in-law. And so she is just trying to survive. They are living an extremely low-class life. There's no money. She's just trying to get enough food to get by. And through this process of taking care of her mother-in-law, a man notices her, Boaz, a business owner, 
who's also a really good guy. And he starts to help her out. And we pick up her story in Ruth 2, verse 10. This is Ruth. She asked him, why have I found such, oh man, we love this word right now, right? Favor. So many times God will show his favor to you through other people. You'll notice that in your life. Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? There was radical racism in this area too against Ruth. And he's still shown her some love. Look what Boaz does in verse 11. Boaz replied, I've been told about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord. Now, after this moment, some things start to unfold and Ruth and Boaz actually end up getting married. (laughs) And she actually ends up becoming the great-grandmother of David, one of the most highly favored people in the whole Bible. Not only that, she becomes an ancestor of Jesus Christ. And all because she was taking care of her mother-in-law. She had no ambitions for fame or money. She was eking out an existence. And God used her to change the world forever. Let's do one more. Uh, Daniel. We've mentioned him almost every week in the Bible. One of the most highly favored people in human history. As a young boy, he went through a horrific experience. His nation was decimated by war. He watched his family killed. He watched so many people die around him. And then he was brought into exile into the most godless, wicked nation on earth at that time, Babylon. This is the end of this kid's life, okay? There's nothing to look forward to as a teenage boy. And Daniel in this moment has every reason to think, clearly God doesn't love me. Clearly he's not favoring my life. So again, I might as well just check out. Who cares? But instead, Daniel puts his head down and he starts serving the very people who killed his family and friends. And he starts working for this nation that completely decimated his whole country. And look what it says in Daniel 1.19 about how things played out. The king, most powerful man on planet earth at this time, talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are his friends. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And after this moment, Daniel goes on to rise to the highest levels of political influence and power and leaves one of the greatest marks on human history that we still feel today. Now I have a question for us. Did any of these three people really get what they wanted? Did anyone really live the dream they were hoping for? In some of them, their life didn't even end where they wanted it to end. They didn't even see a full resolution to all the situations they were facing. Every single one of these people had a Jonah call. It was, the favor was in a place they didn't even want to be, doing things they didn't even want to do. But every single one of them was faithful, right where God had them. And if you want to guarantee the favor of God on your life, you have to understand this principle. God favors those who are faithful with what is right in front of them. If you look at every single person in the Bible who experiences the favor of God, 
basically every single one was thrust into situations they didn't want, places they didn't want to be, and yet they were still faithful. They kept their commitment to God. They applied themselves. They worked hard. They did everything they could do to really honor God in the season and the situations they call them to. And God says, that is a person I can trust with my favor. That is a person I can trust with my purposes and my plans. It was two weeks ago at our church when it was negative eight degrees on a Sunday. That was only two weeks ago. It's going to be 60 and sunny today, and it was negative eight two weeks ago. Welcome to Colorado, everybody. And so I knew, I was like, okay, this is going to be a light Sunday. We're going to have a lot of PJs and prayer um, through the Cameron Church today, okay? And so I knew we'd have a lot of open seats. And I'm walking through the cafe. It's way before church. And there's this teenage girl just hanging out at one of the chairs. And I walked up to her and I said, what are you doing here right now? I said, you know how cold it is outside? It's freezing. Like, this is the one day you get to go home and not feel guilty about it. And she was like, well, no, I'm serving in the coffee shop. I was like, well, yeah, do you think anybody's coming to buy coffee today? I think you're going to be twiddling your thumbs on that. Well, she's like, well, I made a commitment to it. And I was like, dang, that sounds like a small thing. In that moment, I was like, that girl is going to see the favor of God on her life. That is a girl who is faithful because I'm sure she doesn't have dreams and ambitions of being the greatest coffee barista of Northern Hills that's ever been. I'm sure that's not like her life's dream, but it's what's right in front of her right now. And she's choosing to be faithful with it. And that is a girl that is going to see the favor of God on her life. Jesus in Luke 16 says this, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who's dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. How you handle the little things in your life reveals your true character. How you are actually managing the things right in front of you, that is who you are. Okay, it doesn't matter how big your ambitions or your dreams are or what you want to know. How, do, how are you doing with what's right in front of you? Jesus says, that's, that's your heart. That, that, that's your true character. And God is not looking for the most naturally gifted, the most talented, the best looking. He is looking for the most faithful. Because those are the only people that can actually handle the favor of God when he pours it out on their life. And if that's the case, we have to embrace this charge then. This is the charge we have for all of us right here. In Proverbs 3, verse 3, it says this. Let love and, let's say it together, faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of heart. Then you will win. Let's hear it. Favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. I really believe God wants to tell some people here today. I believe he just wants to say, hey, I understand you're not where you want to be. I understand I have you in a place you really don't want to be doing things you don't want to do. But I need you to trust me. I need you to trust that you are a part of a bigger plan, that I'm trying to work out purposes in and through your life that you can't even see that are so much bigger than you can even understand. And if you will just be faithful with what is right in front of you, God is saying, I have favor for it and I will fulfill my purposes in your life. So, this is the question for all of us today. This is the question. What has God placed right in front of you?
for some of us in here, it's just a screaming kid. There. That's what's right in front of you right now. You're losing sleep. You're going nuts. That's what's right in front of you. Some of us in here, it is a dead-end job. It, it, it's not going to help your career. But it's where God has you. For some of us in here, it is a marriage you are not particularly enjoying right now. But it's what's right in front of you right now. For our singles in the room, that's where God has you right now. So whatever God has placed in front of you, are you being faithful with it? Are you doing everything in your strength and power to honor God with where he has placed you at this moment in your life? Because at the end of the day, God's job is favor. Our job is faithfulness. And the promise we have is if you will just focus on being faithful to God with what he has placed right in front of you, he promises he has favor for it and he will fulfill what he has for your life. Now, as we close today, I need you to see this is not just self-help. Okay, This is not just supposed to be bland encouragement for you. I need you to see this very truth we're talking about today is rooted in the foundation of our very faith. I want you to see how critical this really is. Because Jesus had a form of favor that he did not want. God himself embraced a form of favor that was not something he asked for. Because Jesus knew he was the path to salvation. He knew he was the hope for humanity. He knew he was the only one who could truly defeat sin and death. And he also knew it was going to come at a horrific price. And knowing that, Jesus himself, God in the flesh, the night he was betrayed, hours away from his death, he was on his hands and knees pleading to his heavenly father, Lord, please take this cup of suffering from me. He was pleading, if there is another way, let that be the way. If your favor can come in any other form, can we please do that instead? But he also wanted to be faithful. So he said, not my will, but your will be done. God, I want it in this form, but I'm willing to embrace it in the form you have for me. And so Jesus then, was faithful with what was right in front of him, even when it meant a cross. And he willingly embraced that cross and died in our place, a death he didn't deserve, but a death we desperately needed. And then through his faithful death, Jesus opened the doors to the greatest outpouring of favor the world has ever seen. He rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death and he rose. I need some people to get excited here. And the outpouring of God's favor came into this world. Forgiveness, grace, hope, eternity. Through Jesus, you are standing in the favor of God today because of his love for you, because of his faithfulness. Do you see this?
If God was able to take the faithfulness of Jesus through a cross and bring about favor through that, he can use anything in your life for his favor. He can fulfill any purpose, no matter what sacrifice he's asking you to make, what season he's calling to you. And so this is my encouragement to everybody here. If you will just commit yourself to say, God, I am going to be faithful. Whatever it is, whatever you ask me to do, if you will just commit to that, God promises you this, he will give you the favor you need and he will fulfill all of his purposes in and through your life in ways you can't even imagine. In Jesus' name. Let's pray together, everybody. Lord, we thank you. Lord, your promises, the hope we have, just the goodness of your word and the truths we can get from it. And Jesus, we just want to thank you right now for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, Lord. That you didn't look for favor in a different form, that you were willing to even submit yourself to a cross, Jesus. And we now, 2,000 years later, are standing in God's favor because of it. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you so much for what you did for us. And now, God, my prayer for everyone in this room is that we would be faithful with whatever you have for us, whatever you have placed right in front of us, Lord, we wanna be faithful with it. I pray you give us the hope that you really are working out your purposes and plans. I pray you just give us hope to know that it's gonna be worth the sacrifices when we get the hard calls, when you ask us to do the difficult things. And God, I just pray that we would see your favor flow into our lives in greater and greater waves as we seek to live out the purposes and plans you have for us and that it would bring glory to you, God, and it would bring your purposes to this world. And we pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.